Hello and welcome to Leviathan News. It's January 30th. And today we're going to talk about the next billion dollar stablecoin. We've seen the growth, well, regrowth of stablecoins this year. We're finally starting to chug back upwards in terms of total stablecoin market cap. Uh, but there's definitely some space for new entrants to come onto the scene. And that's where our guest today comes in. We have Connor Ryder of Athena Labs, who's head of research there, who's come to talk about uh, USDE which is their latest stablecoin and how it connects into the off-chain perps market and how it could potentially grow into the next billion dollar stablecoin. So Connor, thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me, Sam. Uh, so I, for people that don't know Athena, right? you guys have amassed well over $100 million worth of TVL just in a couple of weeks. Uh, I, I think the it was three weeks ago that you passed the $100 million mark and it's probably climbing significantly from there. Um, but maybe we can just talk about like the kind of basic mechanics of how Athena works. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So um, to give a bit of background, I guess, on the, the inspiration for the idea um, was the Arthur Hayes article, Dust on Crust, um, about, about a year ago now at this stage. It was actually after the SVB collapse and that, that kind of banking crisis caused USDC to depeg. And, and for anyone that doesn't know, Arthur wrote about the need for a more crypto native stablecoin and um, that could kind of stand on its own two feet that was um had no kind of ties to the traditional banking system which we kind of know a lot of the stablecoins uh at the moment do so do have that kind of tie so he was talking about how terra obviously was that crypto native um stablecoin but obviously was fundamentally like flawed in, in its mechanism and everything so um, Arthur talked about the possibility of essentially taking Bitcoin as collateral um, and then basically making a synthetic dollar position by shorting that Bitcoin uh, on a centralized exchange on a perpetual future um, so that those two positions offset from a P&L point of view and you basically create this synthetic dollar position. So that was a kind of popular idea even back as far as 2016, 2017 on BitMEX itself when they didn't have access to, to kind of stable coins or um, it was like a Bitcoin only exchange, let's say, and I guess traders wanted to go on holiday, not worried about their Bitcoin exposure um, and essentially wanted to create a synthetic dollar position. So they would have gone into that Bitcoin inverse perpetual future um, and created that synthetic dollar position. So the idea for a delta neutral um, yeah, synthetic dollar has been around for a while. Um, Arthur wrote about uh, how you might do that with Bitcoin as collateral and then um, Athena kind of have two key differences to, to Arthur's ideas. So. The first difference in our design is that we're using staked Ethereum uh, instead of Bitcoin as collateral. Uh, and essentially, yeah, staked Ethereum, uh, probably this wouldn't have been possible pre-Chapella when there was uh, kind of serious discounts between Steeth and ETH. But since Chapella, th those discounts haven't, haven't been graded in about 30 bips. Um, and obviously, Steeth is more liquid now and, and um, has kind of proliferated as a collateral asset across DeFi as a result of the, the improved liquidity. So. Um, essentially there with Steeth, you get to have a yield bearing productive asset uh, on the collateral side of the trade, which is great. Um, and then you use short Ethereum perpetual futures to create that synthetic dollar position. Um, the second main difference, and we can dive into all of these in more detail, I'm sure, but the second main difference then is that we kind of propose using custodians, uh, institutional grade custodians to store the collateral backing the, that, that synthetic dollar um, versus I think Arthur's idea was to actually just leave the collateral on a centralized exchange. Um, but luckily there's been some developments uh, with custodians and off exchange settlement solutions um, where essentially you're able to mirror collateral that's sitting in that custodian 
to place trades on the centralized exchange itself. So um, a key a key kind of uh, fundamental design of this delta neutral stablecoin uh, idea is that you need to access centralized liquidity because they have about 95% of PERP liquidity. Um, so you can't just live on decentralized exchanges alone. You need to find a way to access that centralized liquidity. So um, we have this idea that we, we kind of feel a bit uncomfortable about parking users' assets on a centralized exchange. We obviously know all the incidents that happened over the last couple of years. So um, we have been kind of working to integrate with custodians. We were the first probably DeFi protocol to, to do so. Um, and yeah, that's kind of, they're the two main differences. Again, we could probably dive more deeper into them, but that's just uh, the quick high level. Yeah. So, I mean, you talked about some of the implementations uh, back in 2021, 2020 or 2022, when the Solana craze was going on, you also had UXD, which launched, which was like a fully on-chain uh, perpetual uh, Delta neutral stablecoin. And I think that one didn't really do that well because access to liquidity is very important when it comes to these uh, Delta neutral stablecoins backed by perps. And you just don't have that on the decentralized perpetual exchanges yet. I mean, you're, I think on, uh, on DYDX, you're looking at about $100 million worth of open interest. And that that just is not scalable at the moment. And so there, there has to be an off-chain solution where the funds can go into a centralized exchange where currently what, there's about $6 billion of, of open interest right now. Yeah, uh, and, $8 billion, I think, yeah, for ETH. Yeah. And so, like, this essentially turns the trade into like this like short vol trade right uh where you're essentially like long the asset you're short the perp uh and i think there's a lot of like risks here that i wanted to to talk about right and so like the first thing that i know some people have discussed recently is the risk of uh like a steth i don't know price collapse from let's say there's a, a problem with geth right that we we had discussed the other day and and uh you know 80 percent of all the steth uh, validators are affected by that. It causes a massive, uh, uh, like slashing event for those, uh, for those validators. And then the price of Steeth drops significantly and it may go well below the actual ETH price. So like what, what would happen in that case for Athena? Yeah, sure. So I guess we're fully right to talk about risks and happy to dive into any of those risks. Um, we need to kind of be as transparent about them as possible. So yeah, as you said, we do take on Steeth as collateral uh, and place short ETH perpetual future positions. So we do have a bit of basis risk there and a bit of reliance on that Steeth ETH DPEG being uh, or peg being being tight. Um, as I said, since Chappella, that that peg hasn't deviated more than thirty bips, um, and, and it does tend to stay quite tight. Now it's absolutely a possibility that 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 does DPEG, and what gives us confidence that we kind of we'd be fine in that scenario is that we don't place leverage on the short side at all. So we're collateralized one-to-one. -one. So for every dollar worth of steep we take in, we place a dollar worth of ETH perpetuals. And um, because of the low leverage that we're running, it, the, the possibility of liquidation is pretty low. Um, so you'd need like a 50% DPEG uh, with steep and ETH for us to be liquidated on the shorts. Because that is really, at the end of the day, the risk that we're talking about there is that liquidation risk as a result of a DPEG. Um, if there is any kind of DPEG that leads to like a, a change of value of the collateral or anything like that, the perps should offset that for like one to one. And so if one gains, the other losses and vice versa. So um, the real risk there is liquidation risk. And it's obviously lowered by by a kind of lack of leverage on the short side. Um, and we have uh, we've done a bit of research into that in our Git book, which is public now. Um, and we kind of break down the price at which we basically we would be liquidated at a certain supply if um, Steeth and ETH depegged. So 
yeah. yeah, we want to be fully transparent about that, but but it does require kind of significant deviation uh, in the peg there, and that's probably not specific to a design decision Athena would make. That's like DeFi has some serious issues if that does happen because ETH has kind of overtaken ETH as a collateral asset throughout DeFi, and uh, and yeah, we'd probably have a lot, we'd have a lot bigger worries. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and and so what about the funding rate risk as well too? So typically, when you look at perpetual exchanges, uh, people are wanting to go long, right? And so they're typically paying uh, a premium on the perps uh, for that, and that's that's um, essentially manifested in the, in the funding rate. So. Uh, if the price of the perpetual is is above the spot price, then you pay positive uh, funding where longs pay shorts. And if the price of the perpetual is below the spot price, then the shorts pay longs. So, uh, you know, in we we tend to see people rush for the exits, rush for stable coins when the price is selling off, and that's typically when funding rates are negative. Uh, so, like, what happens when Athena gets like I don't know, let's say you get a hundred million dollars or five hundred million dollars worth of inflows when you're having these these market collapses, funding rates are going negative. Uh, and you know the the funding rate negative, uh, or sorry, the funding rate uh, like per per epoch, whether it's an hour or eight hours, can get pretty significant. Uh, so, like, how do you guys take that into account? Yeah, absolutely. So, our view on funding is that we're not going to obviously try and step in and, and alter any kind of dynamic with funding rates in the market. That's the natural market set rate. So, we kind of have to just let that be. And our, our attitude towards it is that negative funding is like a feature of the system rather than a bug. Um, so we've done a lot of research again into funding rates and uh, like we're pretty confident, obviously, that they persist positive. As you said, they have a positive mean and um, that's running at about 8% average over, over the last three years. Um, and when they do dip negative, they, those days don't tend to persist. So in terms of like consecutive days of positive versus negative funding, the, the longest streak of consecutive days, positive funding is about 110 days. Uh, that was set earlier this year um, and then the longest streak of negative funding was about 13 days um, so negative funding doesn't persist for a lot of different reasons as you kind of touched on there there is that supply demand imbalance in crypto where um, there's plenty of demand to go along with leverage but not as much demand to supply the capital to, to um, offset that on the short side so we do see those positive funding rates um, there's positive baseline funding rates on some exchanges which again is another probably technicality but on Binance and Bybit, which make up over half of the open interest out there for ETH contracts, that, that baseline funding rate is about 10% uh, annualized. Um, so yeah, we find the kind of funding rates anchor around those levels. When they do dip negative, uh, they don't tend to persist, but yeah, you're absolutely right. So we, we do need to have kind of systems in place um, that that give people, I guess, uh, that, that give people a bit of comfort when, when funding rates go negative. So. We have uh, an insurance fund that'll be sitting alongside the, the stablecoin um, that will, yeah, that's about roughly about 20 million in size per billion of USD supply. Um, and what happens to that insurance fund, that insurance fund gets capitalized on, on positive funding days um, and obviously drawn upon on negative funding days. So that helps offset some of that negative funding risk. Um, another thing that helps offset it is having, going back to the steep as a collateral base, having a yield bearing asset as your collateral base. That gives you a bit of extra margin of safety over over negative funding. Um, so for ETH contracts, uh, funding is about is negative on about twenty percent of days uh, over the last three or four years since we since we have data on them. Um, and when you combine steep yield on the collateral side with the funding yield, 
then you're worried about the combined yield of the two dipping negative. And that 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 brings it down to 10% of days that combined yield is negative. So having Steeth as a collateral, as a collateral asset gives you an extra bit of mar- uh, buffer basically and, and, uh, of safety there. Um, so as I said, yeah, negative funding is, is really a feature, not a bug of the system. Um, another kind of interesting dynamic is that when funding does dip negative, and let's say we are a size in the billions, um, and obviously we're having a kind of influence on funding rates at that stage. Um, if funding does dip negative for a period of eight hours or, or, or 16 hours, whatever it is, um, you will have people redeeming uh, and that's absolutely fine. So what that'll actually do is when people redeem USD, we'll have to go and, and lift our shorts on the perpetual future contracts. So there's a kind of bit of reflexivity built in there where funding dips negative, people redeem USDE, and we actually have to lift the shorts that are uh, putting downward pressure on funding rates. So when we lift those shorts, you might see funding rates revert back to their kind of more um, standard levels, which is an interesting kind of unintended design and mechanism, but but something that we could see play out that size. Oh, and you also get to uh, re- you also get to live or take off the shorts when the per price is below spot price. So there's also an arbitrage opportunity as well. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, so when you're looking at like the growth of USDE into say the billions, uh, the Chaos Labs came out with a report just a few days ago uh, that said that uh, you know a billion is definitely achievable uh, with where open interest rates are right now. Uh, but after that, it will start to compress the uh, the funding rates downward. So you talked about 10% right now, but you could think about uh, USDE at scale. You know, let's say it's like 10 billion dollars. Uh, you know, wouldn't at that point the funding rates compress down to what whatever the LSD staking rates are? Yeah. So if we're comparing, yeah, open interest as it is today, absolutely, we will reach a certain size um, when we're let's say half of the open interest in the market that we will be just putting too much influence on funding rates. Um, there's a couple of things there. Obviously, as I said, that's comparing open interest to where it is today. Um, I guess if you look back to 2021 and and the last kind of bull, bull cycle we had. Open interest had a 20x increase in a matter of like four or five months as kind of the perp markets saw a lot of inflows there. Obviously, it would be pretty insane to be expecting another 20x now in a more mature market. But um, in that Chaos Labs report, they said a 5x increase in the in the perpetual future market size is pretty is pretty realistic um, in a kind of bull market. There's also the fact that there is room to grow there. Uh, perpetual futures are, are only 2.5% at the moment of, of each market cap. And that number has been as high as seven or eight percent in 2021. Um, So there's still room to grow from where we are today. And obviously that would help with the kind of scalability concerns of USDE and um, help us scale into the into the billions and potentially double digit billions. The the second piece of that, then there's also the potential as we kind of mature and we do have uh, too much of an influence, I guess, on global funding rates for ETH contracts is taking on Bitcoin as collateral um, and go back to Arthur's original idea. So the thing about that is obviously the the kind of unit economics are worse there. As I said, you don't have that kind of extra buffer of safety because you don't have a yield bearing collateral asset. But um, Bitcoin funding rates mirror eats pretty closely in that they have a positive mean of about seven or eight percent annually. And so once you do reach a certain size where you've kind of exhausted all you can in, in, in eats open interest, you can potentially look at other collateral assets like Bitcoin and Bitcoin has what is it 15? 20 billion of open interest there uh, today that's mm-hmm. that that would be untapped for Athena to, to kind of move into obviously as I said at worse economics but at that stage you, you you're probably more concerned with scalability and then you look to other assets um and again you can do the same for Seoul or, or any of those kind of assets that have a decent sized derivative market because 
that's the real crux of it. You have to have liquidity on the perp side, like we touched on at the start of the, the podcast. Um, the whole reason we're uh, not solely relying on DEXs is because there isn't that perp liquidity there. Uh, as yeah. long as the asset has decent perp liquidity, um, there's a potential there to kind of take up a delta neutral trade. So since the launch of Bitcoin futures a couple of years ago and with the recent ETF launch, we've seen more liquidity kind of aggregate in these like regulated uh, products. Uh, and that probably will continue, right? I, I would I would assume that with the introduction of the ETF, uh, we're now going to see a lot of institutional capital start to flow into there, which should increase liquidity. And you, I mean, obviously the, the Bitcoin uh, CME futures have done really well and started to compete uh, or even outstrip what's happening on Binance and some of the other uh, large perpetual exchanges. So would you see a future where uh, Athena would be able to access that, that sort of product, uh, the CME future, uh, to be able to gain basis? I mean, that would essentially turn it into like a fixed yield instead of a floating yield. But uh, if the liquidity is, say, like, I don't know, 10 times the amount of Binance, it obviously would be the right place to go to to enact this type of trade for uh, Athena. 100%. Yeah, that's something that could be on our roadmap in the future. Um, as I said, there's a few things there. One that you need to make sure, obviously, custody of assets is safe, um, which it would be in those TradFi markets, which actually kind of separated the different business entities or different business um, units years ago. So in, in TradFi, it's really unique to crypto that crypto amalgamates like custody, execution, settlement with uh, crypto exchange. That's like pretty unique to crypto. So TradFi made those steps ages ago, and, and that's something we could explore 100% because, as you said, that CME liquidity um, ha has been on a tear recently for Bitcoin. ETH, it hasn't done quite the same yet, but I reckon we'll see the exact same dynamic play out for ETH over the next few months now ahead of the ETF. We saw that futures basis rise to 15 20%. Uh, as people kind of piled into the futures futures ETF um, ahead of, oh, sorry, the futures uh, uh, contracts ahead of the ETF approval, um, and yeah, as you said, fixed fixed yield is something that that that's in our roadmap in the, in the near term as well. Um, there perpetual there's perpetual contracts obviously in crypto exchanges, but you also have the possibility for data futures as well, um, and that's really interesting then, and that opens up a whole new kind of fixed versus floating yield curve potential. That you could have there um people locking in a yield for for a fixed fixed uh, term so um yeah there's kind of a lot of different uh implications here of a potential yield curve that's that's native to crypto as well which is super interesting um yeah because as i said the whole point is to try and uh keep something that isn't like tethered to the traditional banking system and are there any other uh avenues to to implement like options or anything because that's also a pretty large market and i would assume that it's going to grow in to the billions in the future as well too yeah, absolutely. It's not something we've uh, looked got the chance to look into yet. It's you know, all systems go on, on perp integration and everything. But yeah, we've talked, we've kind of mentioned it in passing that, um, yeah, really anything that you can open up a synthetic dollar position, which in traditional financial markets, people do that all the time. Um, we've covered like collars and different things like that. So um, yeah, that's something that we could 100% employ. And again, maybe this is a case of once we do exhaust um, perp liquidity for ETH or perp liquidity for Bitcoin as well, that we will go down these different avenues to, to kind of improve the scalability of USDE because that's the goal is to really put this into the into the billions. So I think that hitting the TVL markers are probably going to be like on the roadmap in, in the next few months, maybe in like Q2 or Q3, once you guys fully launch, go public and uh, you're out there. But I think the big question that every stablecoin has to ask is, like, how do you get into the hands of the next billion people, right? So it's not enough just to have like high TVL numbers where you have, you know, a competitive set of 
institutional players that are competing over the same capital, right? Like that's that's not like positive uh, like growth into the future. It doesn't it doesn't it's not an EV positive game, right? Because uh, you're just essentially playing market makers off of each other or large institutions off of each other, essentially battling for for pennies at the end of the day. For real growth to happen, you know, it needs to get into the hands of of normal people who would then use it on a day to day basis. Yeah, 100%. So if we're talking people using it on a day to day basis, I, I, I do think there's a demand there for a kind of, do of dollar denominated instrument uh, worldwide. And that like stable coins have been uh, crypto's killer use case that's been talked about ad nauseum. But the fact that there is 130 billion worth of supply of stable coins is evident to the fact that there is that demand. And what's interesting about that is that demand is with zero yield returning back to the end user. That demand is purely just to use for transacting in a, in a USD denominated instrument um, on chain that's globally accessible. So that's a proven use case there. Um, and what's interesting then is when you combine that with, with the yield portion of it, um, that potentially then more looks like we're kind of pitching it as, I guess, the internet bond. Um, so we haven't really any equivalent, um, like I guess you have RWAs on chain, but something that is, I guess, crypto native and that potentially could provide a double digit yield um, help people protect against inflation and actually become a kind of uh, a savings asset that can be globally accessible because obviously we forget not everyone has access to, to the US markets. And so that could be something that's really interesting in terms of people using it day to day is actually parking it there and earning a dollar denominated savings yield. Um, I think if we're looking at uh, like crypto uh, use cases, I think the holy grail is really tether and tethers use case as money around crypto and on exchanges and um, so we'd really look to get usde kind of um on centralized exchanges uh, on spot pairs and things like that and have people actually trading in and out of spot pairs using usde um it's going to be probably hard to unseat someone like tether uh, just because they've got that kind of network effect now where their fingers are in a lot of pies out there um in, in crypto but that's really what we're kind of here to do is to take some of that market share away from tether and away from um these yeah kind of like i guess what we're doing in DeFi is a bit of a joke if we're so dependent on tether and circle for for our stable coins it'd be great to have a stable coin that actually uh, is crypto native um and isn't tied to yeah traditional banking infrastructure but um yeah that's how i feel about i guess the use cases yeah and I, that's an important point right because even decentralized stable coins like uh, maker have had to go essentially off chain to uh, park the reserves with with custodians who essentially are buying up short term treasuries so that they can pass that yield back on to their their uh, the DAO or the users or whatever you want to call it. And so there there definitely does need to be something that's encapsulated uh, both within like hopefully fully on chain at some point uh, if you know on on chain dex perp liquidity can and open interest can can get to that level. But if not, then having a like a hybrid solution like what Athena is building to essentially merge the liquidity that you have in the centralized exchanges and what's possible in DeFi. Yeah, and if you like, if you look back to the original, um, I like the timing of Arthur's original piece, that dust on crust piece. It was as banking uh, that kind of banking crisis was playing out and SVB collapsed, and like theoretically, I guess why should crypto stablecoins um, like? depeg if, if if something happens in traditional bank in the traditional banking system really they shouldn't and like DeFi shouldn't be running on those stable coins that do that um in my opinion anyway um so censorship of assets is a concern and then you have obviously um second order effects of that as you said by by protocols onboarding or was and 
And I'm not here to tell you that uh, Athena is a better option than those, or, or it, it just has a basically a different risk profile, an uncorrelated risk profile. And I think that's pretty important. Right now, probably there's too much correlation in the risk profiles of stablecoins. Um, even the ones that are kind of pitching themselves as decentralized stablecoins have that censorship of, of assets risk as well um, through RWAs. So it is important for investors to kind of have that yeah, uncorrelated risk profile within within their stables. And hopefully Athena provides a bit of that. Um, people might turn around and say, well, look, you access centralized exchanges. You're not fully decentralized either. And we're, we're happy to say that as well. It, it's, it's more about trade-offs um like yeah but we we shouldn't be really stuck to this narrow term of, of or i guess it's a wide term of decentralization where you need to stick on dexes and that kind of thing it's it's what your what your i guess your end goal is and that's our end goal is obviously to provide that like crypto native stablecoin yeah and i think that like if the possibility was there to build this thing on a dydx or some other type of decentralized per perpetual exchange it would be great but you know you're talking about like exponential differences between the level of open interest between you know the largest decentralized perpetual exchange and and binance like orders of magnitude bigger and so it just it just wouldn't work right now maybe in five ten years once we have better market structure uh but for now i mean the the, the only place to get that type of liquidity where you can accept in billions of dollars is on a centralized exchange exactly yeah and as i said earlier like yeah the centralized exchanges have i think 25 times the open interest of decentralized exchanges and our really ideal end goal would be to operate just fully on those decentralized exchanges and that way we could skip the custody step and, and people wouldn't have this cause for for fud to say well we're exposed to exchange failure risk or anything like that um our ideal case would be to just solely use dexes but yeah it's just not really feasible at this moment in time we are integrating with dexes we have our first integration with synthetics and um, so there's super interesting plays there as well but um, yeah, as you said, hopefully that DEX share of open interest increases going forward. And I do think that will be the case um, as that market matures a bit. And even with things like so in for synthetics, they're coming out with obviously Infinex, which is supposed to really help the UI uh, of decentralized exchanges and make it seem more like a centralized exchange from a UI perspective, um, which I think is important for DEXs to kind of to, to move on, to kick on basically and gain some more market share. So um excited about the developments in in dex perps but yeah if we're looking today you, uh, you need to basically access centralized exchanges otherwise yeah as we mentioned earlier like uxd just stuck to dexes and, and they, they had issues scaling so um it's kind of necessary at, at, at this moment in time well perfect well thank you for coming on the show today i really enjoyed the discussion about uh, athena and what you're building at usdc uh people can find you on twitter connor ryder and uh they can also come here and watch this as well too so <laughs> connor thanks for being here today no worries and a bit of bit of alpha probably for the for the listeners is that we're probably launching to the public next week um with hopefully a, a kind of points program as well so uh, just dropping a bit of alpha there for for the listeners so yeah really excited about that is there going to be any sort of like integration into into curve or like in it like taking part in the curve wars with bribes yeah, you're you're onto it there. So basically, the first kind of season of that of that point system will be incentivizing LP positions in Curve. Uh, we already have a couple of Curve pools up with with uh, Curve USD and uh, USDC. So um, yeah, the first the first uh, epoch there of the season will be will be incentivizing Curve liquidity. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, you can take part of that funding that you're earning and uh, direct it towards uh, liquidity provision on on Curve and other dexes. So that's pretty cool. Exactly. Yeah. Super excited. Amazing. Well, thank you for being here today and uh, everybody subscribe and we will see you tomorrow. We have a interview with CowSwap is coming. 
so make sure to tune into that to learn about uh, off-chain order execution and, uh, and delivery. So uh, thanks, and we'll be back tomorrow.